From Maybank Kimmings Research Team, this is Seng Yeo and welcome to this week's ASEAN Speaks podcast. Today we will be getting updates from our specialists on Malaysia's budget and how the construction sector is faring in this climate. We will then discuss about Indonesia's central bank's latest rate cut and also why our technology analysts are overweight tech stocks in Singapore and Malaysia. Finally, we will speak with our FX research team and find out which countries are the biggest winners from the RCEP trade agreement and the implications for the FX market. To kick off the conversations, let's first check in with MKA's senior economist Hakbin for a roundup of the key highlights. Hey, hi, good morning. Um, so markets were already largely um, well, range-bound for the global markets, but ASEAN markets actually uh, did pretty well, including Singapore, Philippines, Indo, and, uh, and Thailand. So investors, I think, were looking past the surging number of virus cases in the US and Europe after positive vaccine trials from Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca. Optimism that this breakthroughs will pave the way to normality boosted the under-all economy, sensitive stocks like banks and property, and also the travel and hospitality sectors. I think this has helped ASEAN markets, which is heavy on the old economy sectors. In the US, markets were slightly troubled that the Treasury Secretary, Steven Mnuchin, has decided not to extend some of the emergency lending facilities set up by the Fed, which prompted the Fed to warn that the slowing US recovery remains strained and vulnerable. Uh, there's no clear sign that a US fiscal support package from Congress is forthcoming. Uh, last week, both the Central Bank and the Philippines uh, cut uh, and, and Bank Indonesia cut the policy rate. Uh, note that both the peso and the rupiah has actually been strengthening of late, so I think that provided room for the central bank to ease uh, without hurting the currency. Um, for Philippines, Suhaimi and Zamra is expecting the Philippine central bank to stay a whole at 2% for this year and next year. Uh, note that also both the Indonesian and Philippine markets have uh, rallied of late as well on the positive vaccine news. Uh, in Singapore, well, Singapore and Hong Kong has decided to defer a travel bubble uh, for two weeks that was scheduled to start this weekend because of the rising COVID cases in Hong Kong. I saw a number about 43 on Sunday. Uh, so on Friday, uh, Singapore has really also reimposed the 14-day quarantine requirements for travellers from Malaysia. That's up from the seven days, so that's back into the higher risk category. The RCEP agreement was uh, signed last week and involves 15 Asian Pacific countries. Uh, that's after years and years of negotiation. That would be the world's largest regional trading bloc, but would not be the deepest. So it eliminates fewer tariffs than normal and some only after two decades. Its coverage of services is also patchy. I remember that India has, uh, you know, is, is, is not a member. So some critics actually say it's a win for China as it becomes more influential in deciding the direction and parameters of trade liberalization. Uh, so, Amy, what are the your, your key takeaways from the dialogue session on Friday with um, Finance Minister Zafru? Hi, uh, good morning. Yes, uh, we hosted post-budget 2021 dialogue with Finance Minister. Uh, some key takeaways. Uh, first and foremost, I guess, music to the market. Uh, the government uh, basically confirmed that there will be no windfall tax on glove manufacturers, essentially to avoid potential opportunity cost losses, such as uh, glove, manufacturer, glove manufacturing companies investing overseas instead of in Malaysia and avoiding sending wrong signal to existing and potential investors in other industries. Um, Minister of Finance also shared that glove manufacturers' corporate income tax rate revenue is projected to be 2.8 billion this year and 4.7 billion in 2021. Uh, Minister of Finance also added there will there is no plan to reinstate the automatic blanket loan moratorium as the government adopts a balanced approach between helping those in need and ensuring healthy credit. Uh, cultures so that financial institutions uh, remain strong and resilient. Um, 
on COVID-19 vaccine. Um, Malaysia has confirmed participation in WHO's uh, COVAX program and the country is also in negotiation with uh, pharmaceutical companies undertaking the stage 3 clinical trials of the vaccine. The aim is to obtain vaccine in first quarter of next year. Over the medium term, you know, the government remains committed to lower uh, budget deficit uh, from 6% this year to 5.4% uh, next year and 4% by 2023 as a percentage of GDP. Uh, the key strategy will be on enhancing revenues given the uh, limited scope to cut spending. Um, the minister indicated that 95% of operating expenditures are locked in obligations such as on emoluments, debt services, charges and, and uh, retirement charges. Um, in essence, Ministry of Finance has set up a committee to study various revenue-enhancing measures. So this includes the possibility of reintroducing uh, goods and services tax or GST. Uh, they are analysing weaknesses in tax regime and the impact of new taxation on the economy. And on this, they are actually studying options for new taxes such as carbon tax and digital tax. They're also looking to rationalise tax incentives and also improving tax administration and enhance tax audit. But overall, timing is important, especially on any new taxes, uh, so as not to disrupt the uh, economic recovery process, given that 2021 is a transition year from crisis uh, to recovery. I think the last main takeaway that I want to share this morning is uh, on the politics of the budget. Uh, basically, parliament will vote on budget 2021, this Thursday, 26 uh, November. Uh, so naturally, there is the what if uh, budget 2021 is not approved question. Uh, Finance Minister uh, clarified that only certain part of the budget can still be spent next year. And these are charge expenditure, essentially pensions and debt servicing. But this is only 20% of the overall budget. The remaining 80%, which include operations of public services like healthcare, education, law and order must be approved by the parliament. Uh, he also talked about the use of section 102A of federal constitution to pass a partial budget. Uh, this is allowed when there is insufficient time to approve a full budget before the start of the new financial year. And this has happened in 1999 when parliament was dissolved as general election was called after the tabling of budget 2000 and uh, after the election, there was a special parliament session before the end of 1999 uh, to approve a partial budget for the year 2000. The full budget 2000 was retabled in February uh, 2000. However, and importantly, uh, he said that there is no precedent to approve a partial budget after the rejection of a budget. So therefore, in the event of budget 2021 is not passed, by the parliament. Uh, basically, a revise or new budget needs to be tabled and approved before end of this year to avoid any delay uh, into next year. So, Simon, how is that looking? Does the government look like it has the majority to pass the budget this week? Um, I think it's it's still not clear, to be honest. Mm. Um, even over the weekend, there was a sort of a rumour that uh, Tengku Razali, who is uh, one of the... Uh, a member of the so-called ruling coalition uh, by being a AMNO MP uh, may not even turn up on the day when 
uh, budget 2021 is voted on on 26 uh, November. So there's a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, things still going on here that uh, can still lead to a bit of uncertainty about uh, the fate of budget uh, 2021. Okay, can you just quickly remind us what concessions the government has made so far on the budget? Yeah, to 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 try to make sure that the budget is passed. I think. Essentially, the main one that uh, was pretty obvious is the account one withdrawal from EPF. Uh, that seems to be uh, one of the sort of a major demand from MPs, and that seems to have been granted in this budget. EPF have come up with the details even of that, confirming that this is basically something that's going to happen. Uh, secondly, I guess um, partial concession in the sense that uh, although there is no uh, reinstatement or reintroduction of a uh, automatic blanket loan moratorium where the government agreed uh, to basic and the banking system and together with Bank Negara agreed to extend and enhance the uh, targeted loan uh, assistance program to allow more people to qualify for this, which includes uh, the option of uh, getting additional three-month loan moratorium subject to conditions. Uh, thanks, Suhaimi. Uh, let's move on to Indonesia macro and strategy. Um, so, Jue, I think it's not covering the Indo-macro. So, Jue, what's the rationale for the Bank Indonesia rate cut last week? Are you expecting any more easing? Yep. Hi, morning. Uh, so, Bank Indonesia uh, last week cut its policy rate by 25 bips. Uh, the policy rate is currently at a new record low of 3.75%. Um, and the policy decision was based on soft inflation. In October, the uh, headline CPI print was 1.4% and relatively stable financial market conditions. Uh, the strength of the rupiah, which was among the strongest uh, performing Asian currencies this month, uh, it has risen by almost 4% from October on the back of capital inflows. Uh, that also provided some room for easing. Uh, BI noted that between October and mid-November, portfolio investment recorded a net inflow of uh, 3.7 billion US dollars. On uh, further monetary policy moves, uh, I'm expecting one more cut, but probably in the first quarter of 2021. Uh, there's another meeting scheduled this year for 17th of December. Uh, I expect BI to stand pat then. BI still has rooms for uh, further rate cuts as inflation stays soft and the current account deficit has narrowed quite significantly. Uh, in fact, in the third quarter, current account swung to a surplus of 0.4% of GDP. That's the first surplus recorded since 2011, uh, okay. as the goods surplus widened due to the plunge in imports. That's encouraging and supporting the rupiah. So what's your growth outlook for and forecast for this year and next year now? Uh, my 2020 GDP growth forecast is at minus 1.8%. Uh, that would imply 4Q growth of minus 1.3% uh, from third quarter GDP growth of minus 3.5%. Uh, the BI was more optimistic on the economic outlook. Uh, they see improvements in both domestic and external demand. In fact, the governor mentioned during the media briefing that he uh, is looking at GDP uh, even growing at a positive rate in the fourth quarter and improve uh, throughout next year. We are less optimistic on the pace of recovery, uh, given that uh, some of the indicators for October have been pretty weak with the recent spike in COVID cases after the end October holidays. Uh, retail sales fell by 10% in October from 8.7% in September. And when we look at imports of goods, it was a very sharp plunge of 27% across all categories, uh, suggesting that domestic demand still remains pretty sluggish. What's your growth forecast for next year? Sorry. 
Sure, we are looking at a 5.3% rebound in 2021. Uh, we think that the rollout of the vaccine will help to revive private consumption, which is 54% of GDP, and investment, which is one-third of GDP. Uh, the government is also looking to vaccinate uh, 107 million people by end of next year. Uh, currently, some of the vaccines like Sinovac Biotech, uh, Sinopharm and Biotech, uh, they are still running their stage 3 clinical trials. So the growth recovery will very much hinge on the speed of this uh, vaccine deployment. Let's move on to Chuhan on the construction sector, uh, Malaysia's okay. construction sector. So Chuhan, how is the, how's the sector faring in this pandemic recession? Thanks, uh, Habib. Um, essentially, what we are seeing in the construction sector is uh, almost two and a half months of uh, no activities. That was from um, the middle of uh, March, 18th of March, until end of uh, April, um, and even into uh, May itself. So there was a bigger rebound in construction activities, especially in the third quarter of this year. And um, this was actually um, seen in the results, some of uh, the results that was announced by the construction companies for the third quarter. So far, the, um, so far, just Sunway Construction has released its result. IJM and the rest are releasing this week. But from Sunway Construction results, uh, it would seem that third quarter, um, the revenue trend has uh, gotten back to pre-COVID-19 level. Um, and it's actually above, it was actually up about 11% on a year-on-year basis. So this also ties in with uh, what the uh, Minister of Works have been saying, that uh, out of the um, 7,600 construction sites that were inspected by the Construction Industry Development Board from the period April uh, to end of September this year, where just about 2% have not resumed operations. So that means about um, more than 90% have resumed operations. Um, but having said that, I think some of them, um, their operations were not back to a pre-COVID-19 level. Some like Sunway Construction has, but I think uh, some probably has gone back to just about 80% uh, in that uh, sort of range. So that's the, the, the one thing that the players are very concerned about, especially in the last couple of weeks, is actually the resurgence of uh, COVID-19 um, spread to uh, construction sites. Uh, and this was actually due to uh, accommodation of the uh, workers uh, we've seen that um, the, the biggest cluster, one of the biggest clusters in Malaysia so far is the Damanela cluster, which has uh, 1,100 people infected. And uh, as a result of that, um, the main contractor for that job has actually stopped uh, works uh, since the uh, 7th of November, probably, I think, um, until the end of this month. We'll know a bit more colour on that uh, when WCT uh, have an analyst briefing end of this week. So that's on the construction. And um, just to add a bit more color on the uh, tow operations, because some of the uh, major players are also um, involved in the tow concessions. Um, early part when the uh, pandemic started um, and that was the MCO, we saw that uh, traffic fell by 90%, 90%. And then uh, when the recovery phase, uh, the recovery MCO kicked in, um, the traffic actually recovered to pre, pre-COVID-19 level or pre-MCO level. Uh, but now with a conditional uh, MCO being in place for almost a month, um, traffic is probably down again by maybe 10 to 15 or 20 percent of a pre-MCO level. So uh, we see um, activities resuming, but um, for I think for the larger part of the sector or the industry, uh, some of them has not gone back to a pre-MCO level. Um, and just to add one, one last thing on the finance minister who talked about the revival of major or rather 
one of them is the MRT3. Um, so the, the MR, for MRT3 discussion has been ongoing um, to revive or to start it next year. And um, I think Gamuda remains uh, ready to start work anytime, you know, even as early as uh, third quarter itself. Now, I think uh, it was reported in papers that the minister was talking about 40, 50 billion of project value. Um, doesn't seem to be the case. Um, I think the value will be closer to the 22, 23 billion uh, that was negotiated during the Pakatan Harapan uh, government. As for the uh, KL high-speed rail, I think the players, um, industry players or construction players are not so optimistic, uh, are not optimistic that works can actually start uh, next year. I think people are giving uh, two to three years uh, time uh, or maybe two years uh, sort of time frame for works to start. So okay. I'll end here. Okay. So uh, just remind us what, what are your top picks now in the sector? Well, the we we upgraded most a lot of the stocks uh, three months ago um, to buy. Actually, all the stocks were to buy uh, three months ago, and they have uh, mm. done pretty well uh, for for the last uh, three months. So um, um, right now, we we need to um, take a look again at our valuations um, during this reporting season. Um, but so far, um, I I think in terms of a beneficiaries of um, higher construction activities or higher, uh, hopefully higher infrastructure spending by the government over the next uh, couple of um, years, especially next year. I think the two biggest, the, the, the biggest beneficiary will definitely be uh, Gamuda. And, uh, and uh, as far as, um, uh, uh, we also like Sunway Construction because um, not only do they rely on uh, infrastructure spending by the government, um, they also generate their own in-house works and um, we have seen them also going overseas to India. They have uh, secured two major projects in India this year. So okay. for now, um, these two are, are, are we, we like these two stocks uh, uh, more than the rest. Okay, good move on some construction. Thanks, thanks, Johan. Uh, let's move on to the, the tech sector. Uh, Kevin and Jean has released a very big uh, comprehensive report, and they said time is now to it's time to turn bullish and upgrade the sector to overweight. Um, so Kevin Jin, could you um, share what are the what is the main rationale for the for the bullish call? Hi, um, currently there are almost uh, unanimous expectations for a uh, stronger growth momentum across the global semicon uh, supply chain in 2021, and uh, this would be mainly driven by uh, various factors uh, such as faster rollout of the uh, 5G network globally in the uh, coming years, which also entails a uh, strong sales of uh, 5G-related devices, especially the smartphones. Uh, then there are also the uh, rise of the automotive industry with a larger role by uh, electric vehicles. Uh, other items such as uh, IoT, AI and machine learning, cloud and data storage, and even automation from uh, Industry 4.0. So all in all, given the stabilized uh, supply chain post the uh, peak of COVID sometime in the second quarter this year, we believe things will pick up from this point. Is there are some concerns and risks with the slow deployment of 5G? And I'm sorry, what about, what about the trade war? Whether the sanctions, you know, would also hit some of the demand? Um, perhaps this is actually more related to uh, Huawei, given that they are lead 5G players. Uh, nonetheless, that uh, this uh, SEMI and WSDS Association believe that uh, such impact would only be the uh, near term, sorry, be only be a uh, short lift say like, for example, two to three quarters, where eventually all these gaps 
brought on by other players. So they don't really see a long-term impact from this. See, okay. Um, so, Gene, um, what are your top picks then for both Malaysia and Singapore? Before maybe we go in, run into some of these top picks, uh, maybe we could just add on to what Kevin has said earlier. In terms of 5G also, um, actually one of the stronger uh, or strongest signs have been from the consumer demand uh, for 5G phones. So it's, it's actually quite demand-driven, at least on the phone side. Um, although on the infrastructure side, uh, realistically, it might take quite a few years to roll out. Um, and and that the strongest sign of this has been coming from Qualcomm, um, reaffirming this in their latest um, uh, results. And then on the part of, uh, I believe there was another question. Oh, yeah, on the on US-China trade war. Um, mm. Yes, it has some effect on some of the companies that we're looking at. Although in, on the semicon side, it has been very uh, little impact so far. For instance, uh, for uh, a UMS that supplies to applied materials, applied materials said that their guidance uh, for the coming quarter could have been higher, um, if not for some of the restrictions uh, placed on SMIC. But overall, things are pretty uh, strong right now. I think one of the things that um, the US semicon equipment makers have been saying is that, yes, um, some of these restrictions uh, do curb supply. But at the end of the day, you know, when we have inflections like 5G, uh, the demand is there, especially if we, uh, uh, if we take a step back and look over um, a period of a few years. So when um, if one supply fizzles out, uh, someone else will rise to the occasion and, um, uh, and, and, and provide that supply to meet the demand. Um, so just in terms of uh, some of the Singapore names uh, that we're looking at that we like, we like Franken and Venture. Uh, we like them for um, a breath of new products coming in a few years uh, across quite a few verticals as end markets recover. And we think that um, the, the, the new products are probably higher margin from greater design value add over the years as they deepen their engagement with customers. And we think that this is um, something that is not fully appreciated by investors. We talked about UMS also. Uh, we think that UMS is the best um, semiconductor equipment proxy play in Singapore. Again, as mentioned, 90% of their revenues are exposed to applied materials. And applied materials is the largest semicon equipment globally. Uh, and they're still gaining market share. And um, what's going on in 2021 uh, would be probably a stronger year than 2020, sustained by um, continued spending in, in logic and foundry and as also memory investments hit a full uh, swing. And then for AEM, we also like them because uh, we, we see that with 5G, uh, there will be more variety of mission-critical chips, and also these will be harder to and harder to test. So on the back of that, um, system-level test is quite beneficiary in, uh, in, in, in making sure that all these complex chips get uh, uh, adequate test coverage. So that's on the single side, uh, hand over to Kevin for the Malaysia side. Right, thanks, Jean. Right, for the Malaysia, Malaysia side, that uh, our topic is Inari, uh, as they are the best uh, 5G proxy due to its uh, offering of uh, RF filters to Broadcom, where the volume will be driven by the sales of the uh, latest iPhone 12. And this is on the back of uh, Inari's newly installed uh, capacity in their latest uh, Batu Kawan plant. We have also uh, upgraded Globetronics to a buy, as uh, we think that the worst is, has, is over for them in 2020, and uh, we should see the company being re-rated higher going forward. So for Inari, we have uh, also a buy with a target price of 3 ringgit 40 cents. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks, Kevin Jin. Uh, a good report, by the way. Uh, we move on to Andy on, the, on RCEP. 
So Andy, who do you see um, are the biggest winners from this RCEP trade agreement? Uh, how substantial is it? And any implications for FX? Yeah, uh, morning. Thanks, uh, Habin. Um, I think in terms of um, the impact on the RCEP, if you look at it in terms together with the CPTPP, that's a bit more, um, I mean, that's probably one direction we should look at uh, because countries in ASEAN like Brunei, Vietnam, Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, in, in the outside ASEAN will probably have some overlap between CPTPP and RCEP. But if you look at it in terms of absolute terms, China will benefit the most in absolute terms. Um, I think if you look at the Peterson um, uh, studies that we shared in, in our piece, um, it shows that even with a sustained trade war scenario, I think China would, uh, in 2030 real income uh, sort of scenario, would uh, gain about 80, would see about 85 billion and about 100 billion in sustained trade war scenario um, uh, as well from this RCEP. But if you look at our chart as well, if you combine both CPTPP and RCEP, uh, I think Malaysia, uh, on a relative basis, in terms of incremental percent change, uh, may potentially benefit based on the Peterson uh, numbers that we shared in the chart, uh, followed by Vietnam, Singapore, Japan, and New Zealand. But RCEP itself, in absolute terms, China would benefit um, and uh, as well. Yeah, But in terms okay. of uh, your question on FX, yeah. Um, if you look at it, uh, I, I split it up into two 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 groups. One is a short term announcement effects, um, and then the longer term. So, if we look at short term announcement effects, uh, our studies from an event risk perspective uh, does show um, that over the period since last weekend, um, the CNY will uh, benefited the most, followed by Kiwi and then IDR Ringgit and then Aussie and Sing Dollar and Korean Won. Um, and those are the short term announcement effects because some those currencies together with the CP CTPPP and announcements actually benefit the most uh, from the um, um, uh, uh, impact of the RCEP on their trade and income and potential impact of that uh, the ROO, rules of origin, common rules of origin. But if you look at the long-term effect, effects, uh, China's implementation of its uh, dual circulation strategy uh, alongside the post-COVID return and portfolio flows to Asia over the medium term could actually bode well for yuan uh, and other uh, Asia is Japan currencies, especially when the regional linkages are strengthened by RCEP uh, and other trade packs. And if you combine the CPTPP and RCEP, uh, it can potentially add about 53 billion and about 179 billion US dollars to, to the Asian 2030 real income pie, respectively, as I shared earlier. So it could help mitigate some of the significant portion of the drags uh, from any potential US China trade tensions in the future. So that, that helps in some ways. So if you okay. take that take that together, it could mean that Asia and Japan will continue to be anchored by uh, RMB strength in good times, while drags in regional sentiments from the escalation in US-China tensions uh, could be more contained. So um, longer term, I think RMB and all those other partners and those with CTPP, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, could benefit. But short term, we've already seen some countries uh, uh, benefit, particularly the CNY, Kiwi, uh, IDR and Ringgit. And then um, uh, longer term, like I mentioned, uh, on a relative marginal uh, impact incremental, Malaysia, Vietnam, Singapore, Japan, and New Zealand are the top five uh, countries and currencies. Okay, I guess it's a positive move, you know, locks in uh, the country's uh, behavior and, and trade commitments. Uh, I was surprised to hear that China is actually willing to consider joining the TPP. Um, yes. Do you think that Biden can, can in any way, you know, um, um, I guess revive and, and bring and um, yeah. and rejoin the uh, TPP. I, I think potentially he can because the president has the executive powers to deal directly with trade. So it removes some of the political impediments 
on the US front. So there is a higher probability on the trade front uh, to to move ahead positively on that front. But um, uh, we probably might see uh, how you how how domestic politics will actually uh, remove some of its uh, push towards that uh, that angle. But like I mentioned, the executive order on the trade side is his prerogative, so that removes that element as well. Well, I hear some confusing signals, you know, on bilateral executive action, he can he can do that on uh, individual countries, but to actually come back and rejoin the TPP, I think you still need approval of the Congress. Yes. Uh, but okay. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Yes, thank uh, with that, um, that's it for our call today. Uh, have a good week. Thank you.